Hi, I'm Tim Crosby and welcome to episode 29 of Down the Track. Sean Whip here again. It's our one-year anniversary, Sean. Oh, and they said we wouldn't make it this far. Oh dear, no, we have. So thanks to all the listeners who have put up with us for the mm. last year and uh, 29 episodes. Well, this will be the number 29. Lots to talk about. Uh, yet again, another few interesting weeks. What do you think about the Melbourne weather at the moment, Sean? Yeah, we've um, been back and forth a bit. Um, I think uh, many, many training groups out there would like to see the weather just stick with one option, whether that yeah. be cold and miserable or very hot. Yeah. Um, the, the pendulum swinging repeatedly is, is not the best right oh, now. It's interesting, isn't it? I had a, um, a girl on that coaching arrive from Scotland on a Wednesday, came mm. to training on a Thursday. It was 34 degrees, and then I think on the Saturday it was 14. So, welcome to Melbourne. Yeah, one of the one of the few cities in Australia where weather is a, a genuine topic. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. All right, episode twenty nine, one year anniversary. I uh, hope you enjoy it. So let's keep going with that theme of weather, Sean, and the uh, the two weekends of all schools. Um, interesting weekends, weren't they? Weekend number one dominated by the Saturday with the wind and uh, rain and just pretty terrible conditions. Weekend Most number of the wind. two, yeah, yeah it was the wind in weekend one. Yeah, weekend we- two was. Near flooding. <laughs> Near flooding, exactly. The Saturday in particular was an extremely wet day. and um, But you know, you've got to give it to our officials and also the competitors mm. and the coaches and the families for just putting up with it and just getting out there and doing the job. Uh, plaudits to the Doncaster track, unusual in that lane one and two, despite all of that rain, never got flooded. Yeah, I, I don't know whether that was by happy accident or design because the, the front straight seemed to get relatively flooded through lanes yep. sort of th- three, three to seven, seven. but Very yeah wet. One, and, one and two one and two just yeah. hung in there yeah. and then weirdly the back straight seemed okay yeah. which maybe the Doncaster tracks on a very slight slant yeah it depends on the camber <laughs> i suppose but it was yeah. really interesting just to witness that but also when the rain stopped how quickly that track dried off it was yeah, yeah. It, it did come around pretty quick yeah so anyway you've got a reasonable team heading over to perth for the all schools Championships yeah got about, in december got about 150 odd headed over so back over to perth and uh one of australia's few mondo tracks so yeah. it's, it's pretty exciting for everyone and hopefully the weather i think the weather's usually much warmer there so that makes everyone pretty chipper to, to have a go um, but yeah, good good team experience for everyone and, and a trip that um, most kids get something really positive out of. Good. Now most of the team locked in now? Yep. Yep. So team team all, all sorted now and, and probably by the time this podcast comes out, they'll have all their you know, flight lists and various bits and bobs of admin. But um, yeah, it is a, is a bit of admin to get uh, that many people onto planes and into hotels and fed and down to the track pretty much yeah it's a it's a big logistical exercise that you guys undertake to get that team there mm. let's have a look at some look we won't go into all the details of all the races you did have a few races <laughs> yeah there was you know given all the age groups and all the different events on but you know let's see some standouts once again benjamin Vu looking good 65 74 yeah so? it has been a, a basically a top level thrower coming through under-14s right up until now has, has been a bit of a constant there. So, yeah, doing a really good job. Yeah, Frank Mazza, he's multidisciplinary. Unfortunately, not going to Perth, but uh, Frank winning the long, winning the jav. Uh, do you see a bit of a multi-eventer coming through there? Yeah, I think he'll. Pre- I think he's going to focus on March. But um, he's definitely, last year he was on the all-schools trip and probably had five or six-odd events and, and tore through them all with, with pretty... Uh, with, with a, I guess a lack of lack of too much, didn't, didn't seem too bothered by um, 
by any sort of uh, fatigue or anything for mm. so Fernando Fourteen last year he was pretty, pretty just enjoying it. He, yeah, yeah, he seemed pretty chipper the whole weekend. I think it was just one of those kids where that's kind of what he's always done, I guess. So yeah. it seemed very normal. Who's looking after Frank? Yeah. I have absolutely no idea. Okay, interesting one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah from the western suburbs, I think. Yeah, cool. All right, four hundred hurdles. Um, you know, conditions actually weren't too too bad when they stepped out and. Once again, it was Max Holmes looked really good, fifty four seventy five. So you know, very proficient, isn't he, Max? And just a yeah. strong. Athlete. Yeah, I think it's helped a lot that I think uh, I don't know whether it was at the very end of last season, or I think maybe the start of this season. He cracked under fifty seconds for four hundred, so mm. he's, he's definitely come along into pretty regular forty nine second splits and, yeah. and race times. So that's that's always going to make a pretty sizable difference in your hurdling. The next age group down, though, Ethan Harris, 55-68. That was a, a Halebury College. That was a very good run over Yeah, there. he absolutely absolutely tore that age group apart. Yeah. He won by about five seconds. So, um, very <laughs> to say, you know, he was a proficient hurdler would probably be an understatement. He um, pretty clearly had a, had a plan of his own from hurdle one and yep. was just about gone by hurdle three. So, ran a race of his own. Yeah, yet again, really good technician. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Wong was... Um, all over the place. He was everywhere. <laughs> I seem to be calling William Wong quite a lot. And yeah. 28-14 to take out the 200 hurdles was yep. one of his victories. So, yet again, another consistent performer. In the 200, uh, flat cam to Bruin, 21-88. That was a, a good performance. Yeah, I keep forgetting how young he is. Um, because I think that's one of those situations where we've seen him for a very long time in the sprint ranks. And he's always been very good. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you sort of see him pop up on the weekend. And you go, oh, okay, he's still a junior, you know, still... <laughs> Still hitting around in, in those ranks. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how his season sort of takes off and, and if he does race at all with the Opens. Yeah, well, you'd hope you would just for that bit of experience. And plus, yeah. he's, he's good enough to match it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, one you know, one we are looking at a lot now and talking about is Mitch Langbourne, uh, 157 in the 800 and just a you know, dominant figure. He just uh, takes any race by the scruff of the neck and, and just goes with it. So that's a good attribute, isn't it, for a young middle-distance runner? Yeah, yeah, I know talking to a couple of, um, I guess, former 800 types that were pretty good as juniors, a, a few have remarked, you know, they're, they're never too sure why some juniors who sort of know they're a lot quicker than the field turn up and sort of jog through 600 or 700 or so and then just take off because you don't really get a lot out of it. Whereas mm-hmm. for someone like Mitch, you know, he knows he's probably going to be a, a second or so ahead and, and, you know, he may as well try out something new, whether that's, you know, obviously this weekend um, it was leading and leading... Um, I know, seems very happy to do it. Um, yep. and yeah, but he's a strong runner, and that's what I like about him. He, yeah. you know, he didn't get blown around too much, although conditions were a lot better in weekend too. But, mm. um, yeah, just gets out the front and does his job and, and hopefully leads some of the other kids in the age group through at good times as well yeah. by setting up a race uh, yeah, rather um, than doing championship stuff. Yeah, Ron, Ron Stobaus, yep. coached uh, athlete. Yep. So still KSB. Yep. Still kicking goals out there at KSB. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Uh, I've got a lot of good ones. And, you know, mm. also with Kathy uh, Maria doing their stuff and coaching there too. They're, yeah. Uh, KSB are doing some very, very good work and uh, being rewarded with some great performances and mm. doing quite nicely up in, I think they're in the Premier Division of AVSL too. And, oh, okay. You know, and going okay. So which good is good see. for them. Uh, I love to watch the likes of Suley, uh, DeConza, Matheson go head to head in the age group. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's a ripper age group. And once again, we weren't sort of uh, let down by a very, very entertaining under seventeen eight hundred with uh, Jean Philippe Suley taking that one out from Luca yeah. DeConza. They yeah. do see a lot of each other through yeah. the APS season yeah. as well. A lot sort of Scotch and St Kevin's. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was good to see DeConza double back from the three k in yeah. the morning, which yeah. he just got pipped by Douglas Buckridge. Yeah, led led probably. 
2,920 yep. metres of it. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't quite shake Doug, but... Um, yeah, well, that was a good strategic win for Doug there. And, uh, yeah. and the times were pretty decent too, 8.45, yeah. 8.46, and then Ben Sherman next in 8.57. Yeah. Um, you know, very accomplished runners and quite actually for their age relatively experienced now too. Yeah, and I think apparently um, Luca still juggles a bit of cricket with his running, so he's, he's still a bit of a multi-sport athlete. Um, but yeah, Steve Fabrice out at St Kevin's is still definitely prioritising both ends of the, the athletic spectrum, so not not just you know letting him just sit in the 3K and enjoy yep. the longer events that he definitely prefers and has sort of shown at National Cross he prefers the longer stuff, but still working on the eights and all those sorts of things. So good to see a, a well-rounded approach there. And uh, Matheson as well, again, another one that didn't mind leading early on. Yeah, no, it was an entertaining race. Uh, Chanachai Kankratok um, in the sprints and jumps. Mm. He's a bit of a talent, isn't he? Yeah, it just seemed to be everywhere. Um, if, if there was a sprint and or jump format available, he was in it. He was and, in it. And yeah. doing some serious damage. Yep, so 566 to take out the long jump in his age group. Yep. Uh, also in the in the field, uh, Logan Sandland. What do you know about Logan? I believe he's from Albury. Um, so made made the big drive down both weekends um, and yeah he's, he's pretty uh, pretty happy go lucky kind of guy had him on the old school trip last year and was was pretty content to just sort of wander around for most of the days and taking the sights and sounds of the track uh, oh, that's good. Didn't, didn't seem too concerned by much he's a he's a big kid for his age yeah yeah well, and doing very well in the throws he's going to Perth is he on the team yeah I think he I'd have to double check but I think he's doing every throw so I think he's doing on discus, shot put, javelin and hammer. So, on very busy. Yeah, Kevin Healy also going along quite nicely, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, so a lot of depth there in the field. In the in the girls, let's have a look at those. Grace Kelly, um, yeah, going quite nicely. The Warrnambool girl, isn't she? Yeah, good to another... And I think that was a note we touched on across the weekend that we did have some... A really strong, probably 30 or 40-odd competitors who were driving two hours plus mm. um, to get to Doncaster. Um, and then probably a good 15 or so that were that were three hours plus, which is a huge commitment um, to yeah, get down. Just touching on that, you did do the statistical work for us. I and, did. <laughs> um, you've gone through all the regional competitors at all schools and it was remarkable to see how far some of these people are coming in for the comp. Yeah. But they tend to also be high achievers, don't they? They yeah, do so well we, when they get there. Yeah, and I guess we did debate that sort of in the office whether like the the system which encourages country or regional athletes to come to a competition because speaking to some of the coaches from our um, east and west sort of sections of Victoria, it, it's very common that, you know, a, an encouraging PE teacher or, or, yeah. a, or a coach in the area, if someone is having a great deal of success at a certain age, there's more of an encouragement to attend an AV event. Um, and I guess there's a job for us to try and change the messaging around that, not because it's bad, but because, you know, we want to try and um, show that the sport doesn't have, you know, it's not a prerequisite to be very good at it. It's more more an enjoyment or, or interest-based factor. But that, that sort of circle that gets um, those younger kids that are quite good from regional country Victoria into the sport um, is often that they do need a little bit of encouragement. Not, not so much because they don't want to compete or they don't want to go. They often don't know the event exists, yeah. um, which is the feedback I've had from a lot of coaches. So even... Um, I can't remember his surname, Merlin. Yeah, um, from Lane Gaffer. Yeah, yeah, the young lad in the 5K. So yeah, Kayla got a McKn- bronze medal. Yeah, so Kayla McKnight now, Kayla Hutchinson, um, yeah. is doing some really good work out in Lane Gaffer because she's moved back down there. Was was originally from Lane Gaffer and joked that when she was part of the sort of target talent program way back when she was a junior, um, she was coached by Richard Huggins by fax, yep, purely by because fax. she didn't have a coach and had got you know sort of picked into the program and was doing really well. 
um, you know, ended up being a 2012 Olympic uh, semi-finalist, of course, in the 1500. Um, but yeah, moved back down there with her, her husband, who's a, a deputy principal, I think, down there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, I guess, classic sort of more community-based um, vibe in regional Victoria was, well, you know, Kaylee used to run a bit and now she's got a little group of sort of 10 or so and they just use an oval. But I guess to sort of bring that story full circle, it was more just reiterated across that weekend that when you've got people traveling, you know, two, three, and, and in one case we had an athlete from New Morella, which is about 10 minutes out of Orbost, so sort of four and a half hours to, to state champs. Um, if, if athletes are, and parents are that committed and that keen to come to an event, you know, we've, we've got to try and foster that. You know, it's Athletics Victoria, not Athletics Metropolitan Melbourne. So Correct. that's a happy role for myself yeah, to push along. Yeah, yourself and also Caitlin doing a bit of work, Caitlin mm. Honey, uh, you know, capacity within the regional areas is really important for us now and building structures, building coaching yeah, structures yeah, and eventually clubs as well, potentially. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, I guess the, the differences we've noted in, you know, Warrnambool was more a project where, you know, we've got... Um, Southwest Athletics um, back up and going, um, whereas Gippsland is a bit of a different difficulty in that you know the the athletes and parents know the distance isn't going to change and they're okay with that. You know they've they've committed to coming to these events and and they like that. Um, but for them, it's more information about competitions. You know they've got clubs out there. You know you've got the likes of Dennis Huffer doing really good work out in Wellington, and now his son Craig as well has got like a I guess a transition sort of basis for athletes from sale and so on that do move into Melbourne for uni when they're a bit older to you know, continue being coached and it's really encouraging to see those coaches set up I guess um, sort of systems for, for people that you know are going to tackle that geography in different ways. Mm. It's interesting let's just we see where that all goes let's get mm. back to our 200 action Jessica Malat the Kathy Wood which um, Kathy Woodruff I think Woodruff, um, yeah down at Sandy. Sandy so Jessica looked really yeah, she's a good unit, and she she's tall. Well, yeah, and and I think um, controlling the really controlling the body, and uh, very strong in that two hundred. Yeah, and I think Kathy's been around yeah. definitely long enough as a very high end coach yeah. to to know there's that balance with you know an under fourteen or an under fifteen that yeah. is quite tall, um, and to just you know gradually sort of nurture that through, and and seems to be doing an awesome job of that right now. Uh, I like Declan Tanner's run in the eight hundred uh, two nineteen. Not look, yeah, the time not stellar compared to sort mm. of state records and things but it was a really well judged race in a in a very competitive age group in the under 14 ah. long jump for um the girls it was a cast of thousands i think it was a competing field of 24 evelyn chung took that one out um and then ali simons was in a second position so yeah big big jump there but it was interesting to see the way that event was conducted, uh, took a while to get through, and the girls obviously having to wait a while to have a jump, but uh, some good performances there. Mackenzie Milcharek, is that how we say it, Sean? Milcharek? Milcharek, I yeah. I don't know, I might be getting it wrong, apologies. <laughs> Popping up in a few different places and getting some good results. Yeah, definitely has a, a wide variety of events, which is, is something we like to see um, in a number of the juniors, trying their, their hand at a few different things. Mia's scary the same, isn't she? So Mia's, uh, but Mia's performance level is really quite solid across different events, isn't it? So um, yet again, a good multi-eventer. Uh, Lucinda Rourke was, you know, what do you say about Rourke? She's just stylish, controlled, um, knows how to, you know, win yeah, a race is, and is, win well. Is is definitely like show, effectively showing signs that 
she is a, a bit of a level above at, at her age, but at the same time um, is still pretty heavily involved in triathlon, as I understand. So, which is uh, a extremely good thing. Yes, non weight bearing, very aerobic. Yeah, great so, cross training. You know, we, <laughs> we often you know harp on about you know the um, you know younger girls being probably a little bit punished in training as they mm. go through the 14, 15, 16 year. Yeah, and I think uh, as we know we've listened to that's not happening, and we yeah. could see a, a very stable unit coming through into later teens, into yeah. early 20s. Well, I think there's often that. Um, it's very easy to, to have a, a younger athlete do a lot if they're already you know, naturally or come into a sport quite capable um, because a lot of those athletes, 16 and under, you know, they're just, there's just not a lot of them. So if they're doing more training than a lot of the other kids in their age group, they, you know, win. they, they win. Yeah. Um, but I think in Lucinda's case, we've seen her come along quite gradually year to year and um, is, yeah, is obviously Liz Matthews doing a really good job there. Um, but yeah, I spoke to her mum, and you know, she basically said, "No, nah, she's got, I think she's got some sort of national sort of triathlon series up on the Gold Coast." So cool to see her balancing both. And I know we've seen a number of triathletes do well in in balancing things on and off the track. So yeah, it'd be cool to see. Um, yeah, where she's at. to see where she goes to in the next few years. Yeah, because usually with triathletes, I think I don't know for a fact, but it seems that March nationals fits in a little bit better for them because mm. they've I think they've done most of their major yeah, events. So they've probably done their series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'd be cool to see where she's at come March, but. Yeah, it seemed to be having fun on the weekend and was pretty chipper, so that's always the, the big takeaway. Dana Crees was actually out there when she was in the seated shot and got very close to a PB. She mm. was a pretty happy girl, so the whole series actually was really, really solid. So great to see Dana out there and uh, getting getting gold there in that seated shot put. Now, so that's yeah, a bit of a, a potted wrap there on the the second weekend of all schools. But yep. we in the office, we're talking about, you know, where do we go next year with this one? And I think the consensus might be that the, the split weekend does seem to work. Um, it certainly was a, a less frenetic um, sort of couple of... The, the program's softer. Unfortunately, though, with the cancellation of some of the semis, you do get... Um, a little bit long, of a gap. Yeah, yeah. Da- downtime on the track. You know, field's still continues on but you know that's probably one thing we need to sort of be looking at you know how do we sort of minimize those gaps yeah i guess that is a communication thing as well because if you know when av are setting a timetable i guess you know some people are more aware than others but you know if you have an entry number that initially suggests you might need semis you have to timetable a space for them you certainly Um, do and there's not a very easy or or fair way which if semis don't exist you can just sort of pull the wool out and be like oh right you're all racing a final right now Um, so you've you've got to allow for those sort of breaks um, in between heats and events and so on Big telling thing though was uh, probably the lack of numbers in the under twenties, and you can understand why. Sean, what do you think about the is under twenties required at all schools at this time of year when there's so much going mm. on for them? And do they progress through to nationals? No, no they so, don't. So, so nationals so, is only fourteens to eighteens, yeah. um, and I think part of that is that it is basically right on that exam period for, yeah. for Victoria at least. Um, and yeah, I guess there were definitely a number of discussions around where the event sits in terms of time. Like I know New South Wales do theirs about a month earlier. Yeah. Um, and I would implore anyone who is curious um, to definitely try and lay every event out in Victoria between Little Aths and AV Comp sort of in front of you and, and school comps as well. Yeah, because you know, you've got ABS, ABS finals around yeah, that time SSV, too, yeah. and yeah. you just look at the timetabling of it and I don't think it's... It's not to be defeatist. It's not to say mm. there's no alternate space we could put all schools, but more that there are a number of pretty strict difficulties around um, yeah. 
placing that comp and, and not having that negatively affect any other comps. That's which right. You can't kids, just pick it up and move it and not have any collateral damage yeah, to it's like a comp just, or our comp. Yeah, you can't yeah. just whack it the week before yeah. all APS and say, oh, that'll be fine because yeah. you know, it you, won't you're be impacting fine. a huge group. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is, a, it, well, an important demographic for us sure. as well because they sure. do provide such a lot of competitors in yeah. these events. Yeah, so. and, and I think, yeah, to go back to the number 29, yeah, the, yeah. the question is, yeah, is it, okay that it's just a good hit out i guess for the under 20s that are keen enough to come out you know i I can see the field argument there is probably very different to the track one um, because you don't necessarily need a huge field um to make the most of your comp uh but yeah in track it was interesting to see some races of sort of three and four and five so even twos and ones yeah yeah so definitely something to to have a look at there um but yeah maybe something we need to survey groups better on yep exactly all right so that's a wrap cool all schools 2019 so, Sean, another World Championships underway. Started last night and great news for Australia. Yeah, the World Power Championships are taking place in Dubai. Why um, Dubai and not Doha? What's the reason for the split cities? I don't know. Same well, area of the world. Well, I know that, for example, you've got two different governing bodies. So, World Power Athletics uh-huh. are separate to the uh, to World Athletics, Athletics now. Yep. IFF has rebranded. Um, but, yeah, their, their location was Dubai. They put the hand up to host it. Um, and we had two... I guess relatively well-known um, para-athletes have a crack overnight. One well, down the track's very own Jared Clifford. Yeah, yeah. Jared Clifford uh, had an absolute blinder. Um, oh, that's probably the worst pun I could have used. <laughs> I do. I didn't even realise. Had a very good run. I um, think Jared will take that beautifully. Yeah, think, just yeah. paused there and thought, to apologise, not the best phrasing. <laughs> so he's run 347.78 in what he does... Um, does like to call the blinky category. So Jared is vision impaired. Yeah. Um, he ran 347.78, which is uh, 0.11 off his own world record, which yeah. he set in Sydney. Um, but he beat the Paralympic champ in, in doing so and beat some very highly seeded or highly ranked um, Russian athletes. Um, it was a real battle over the last 100 metres. So if anyone's got any sort of social media nearby, um, yeah, pop open it out. Facebook or, uh, or especially um, Jared's Instagram page as well. It's got some good footage of his last, last 100 there. One one thing I did like was the family sitting at home watching and the the yells and screams coming from them. That was really good footage. So check that out if you can. Yeah, and and yeah. interesting to note as well that Jared's had a I guess less than ideal build up. Um, they had a training camp in Flagstaff which went really really well, um, and then their last sort of tune up I think was uh, maybe in Barcelona somewhere in Spain, and um, I think they hopped out of the the car to go check out a nearby track and. Um, came back and in the space of sort of five minutes they had they got robbed um his yeah. coach and his his guide tim logan as well and and phyllis saunders um and yeah they lost everything yep. including sort of the goggles that um jared usually races in so you would have noted last night he was sans goggles um yeah. which which yeah i guess just hadn't added to great difficulty um but yeah what a what an athlete yeah, no, it's just he is superb athlete and mm. a, a great Australian, you know, person. He's, you know, we, we, you know, everything he does and the way he presents himself uh, is, you know, just sensational and, yeah. you know, really popular in the athletic scene too. So it's great yep. to see guys like that getting their due rewards. Yeah. But it was tough competition. This was not an easy race. Three forty-seven. Mm. You know, it's um, that equates itself, as we know, is a you know national finalist over fifteen hundred and able-bodied. So this. This kick yeah, run. yeah, and he's yeah. Also, of course, as we've touched on before, made the world under twenty able body champs yeah. last year in Finland. So such a rare thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think everyone sort of agreed no one had ever done it in Australia before. Yeah. Um, and the RWF suggested they hadn't had it before at all. So pretty huge. Um, 
but yeah, awesome run by Jared and, and good to see, you know, what has been a, a really long lead in and, and something that, you know, he's been thinking about all year um, and does lead quite well into Tokyo as It well. does, yeah, yeah. No, so definitely a huge chance to, to get a Paralympic gold medal there. But also what a support structure he's got. You know, Philo, mm. you've, you've got to look at Philo as, you know, one of the preeminent coaches in Australia mm. at the moment. He knows how to get performances at championships and that's yep. what counts. It doesn't matter yep. how, how many great athletes you've got. If they're not performing at the championships, then, you know, you, you've really got to look at the way you prepare. Mm. But with Philo, we know that when someone's... Yeah, form, pretty, pretty form, reliable. And another of uh, fellow Saunders' athletes, uh, Michael Roger, yep. uh, got second um, in, in his 1500. Um, Rogues, as he's affectionately known, um, is pretty much a, a, a locked in podium finish on most occasions. Yep. Um, but he's got range too, you know, he goes right up does, to the marathon. Yeah. So yeah, right up to the marathon. Yeah. Um, so Michael is a, a, an arm amputee um, and so races in, I think, the 40s class. Um, and. I think initially there was a little bit of drama post-race as he was, um, I think, provisionally disqualified. Um, so Athletics Australia launched a protest, which was fortunately successful. Um, and his result was... Uh, yeah, reinstated. Reinstated. Yeah. Uh, so gets a gets a silver medal there. Yes. So big year in terms of being world world champ for the uh, marathon mm. and then coming straight back down to the 1500. Um, so it'd be interesting to see, you know, which, I guess, which event he picks or, or, yeah, can or somewhere in the middle in, yeah. in Tokyo. Yeah. 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 So, and we also had some sprints on last night too, just preliminary rounds. Yeah. So I think we had, I think, another four athletes who've, who've progressed to, to finals, but it's, it's pretty cool um, that the World um, World Pro Championships are uh, available on, I think, 7 mate as yeah, well. And exactly. So, options through 7 too. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, we won't be recording for another couple of weeks, obviously. Mm. So, I uh, won't be giving, you know, blow by blow of apart from day one, which mm. is a good day for us. But uh, please check in Channel 7 and also off follow what AA are doing via their yeah, socials. Yeah, because it's definitely, if anything, it's an easier world champs to follow with the amount of coverage than mm. the world award champs in Doha. It's rather remarkable, isn't it? Well, yeah, because it's, it's on TV, yeah, yeah. and it's not pay TV. It's it's something everyone's got access to. So I think it, you know, it provides a really good spotlight for people to understand yeah. a bit more about um, what is a big part of the athletics community heading into Tokyo. But we've also got some big personalities over there too, so yeah. which is good. Yeah, and I think that captures the general public as well as the athletics fraternity. Yeah, um, you know, Madeline Di Rosario and people like that. Yeah, They're, Marty Jackson. Yeah, as Marty well. Jackson, <laughs> you know, one of our favourites, and you know, these people have got huge personalities, yeah. uh, huge followings, and. Yeah. It's great to see that uh, the mainstream has really got onto yeah. this. And, and like we talk about how long the athletic season has been, you know, for the yeah. for the Paras, it's the longest season yep. um, in, in that their world champs are only just starting right now. So yeah. definitely worth a watch. Uh, would encourage everyone to, to try and catch a, catch a bit of it, even if it's just a highlights package. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's follow our, our great para-athletes representing the green and gold in Dubai. So specialist group action is starting in earnest again, Sean. We're into November and Rare Air, they had their first shot at it and they were out at two venues. So they went to Melbourne Uni and also Casey Fields, so two separate comps. So that was on the Wednesday night, 6th of November. So let's have a look at the results. Well, roving reporter... Mark Stewart was over there. and <laughs> Pol- aficionado. Well, yeah, one of, one of the very good men of athletics. Mm. Um, so, very tough crosswinds, apparently, at both. You know, were you out training Wednesday night? Oh, would have been rolling around somewhere, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't the most pleasant of evenings. No. The, the I, wind I, was really, well, certainly at Albert Park, it was it was gusting <laughs> beautifully. So, I can imagine it both. And, and Casey, not renowned for being having much wind protection. Melbourne Uni's probably a little bit better. But excellent results there from the Geelong girls, Casper Bradshaw. Uh, this is at Melbourne Uni. 
three ninety for Bradshaw, so getting right up there. Yeah, so it has cleared four meters before, um, but good to see uh, very early season form. Yeah, uh, Olivia Gross three seventy five was in second, and then as Glenn Turner would say, a plethora of um, girls on the three forty five mark, which was Grace Bath, Catherine Ianello, Kira Davy. Also, Tamara Mancuso. So, mm. some pretty solid jumping despite the conditions not being ideal at Melbourne Uni. Uh, according to Mark Two, the under-14 boys, Noah Burns, 3.35, got a PB. And Johnny Suarez, we just love saying that name, don't we? 3.30 for Johnny uh, in the under-14s. And dear old, we can call him old now, I think, I think officially, <laughs> Joel Bocklington. He had a win in the men's comp at Melbourne Uni for 4.75. And according to Mark, just that experience level of Joel just allowed him to really deal with the crosswinds uh, when the the going got tough out there. Uh, Dalton Demedio, he was second, 4.45. Uh, Liam Harris, don't know Liam, do you know Liam? No, off the top of my head. Uh, Liam, 4.30. And then Christian Painter from Melbourne Uni in 4.15. So they are the results from the Melbourne Uni comp. In the ladies at Casey, we had Felicity Juvelet for free, 25. Uh, Abigail Delia, I think that's pronounced, 280. And Nicholas Slade from South Coast, 205. And in the men's, Sean Warren from Casey off a short run up apparently, 360. Uh, Andrew Bull, 250 in next position. So that's the info and the intel on the rare air number one from both Melbourne Uni and Casey Fields. Oh, I think I've just dried off after last night at Milers Club, Sean. It was um, we've had around sixty Milers meets since two thousand and five when we were founded, and we very rarely had rain. But gee, that last night made up for it. It was just soaking rain out there. Yeah, I, I you know, had a few people ask pre mate, oh, you know, you're gonna you know pop down, you're gonna get down to Duncan McKinnon, and I thought, ah, oh, look, hats off to Athletics Exclusive. It was a piece of cake to watch at home. So. Was very uh, happily at home watching the the action go on with yeah. our more than capable commentary team. Yeah, they did all right, didn't they? Yeah, Mitch yeah. Dyer and Jimmy Coleman mm. and uh, Massini add, yeah. added some uh, some brevity to to a few of the races. It was yeah. good. Well, that's probably what we needed because it was it was hard going for everyone, officials, um, you know, competitors, spectators. It was, mm. but a, a bit of a shame because the first time at Duncan McKinnon, you know, in those sixty meets or thereabouts, we've never been yeah. to Duncan McKinnon, which yep. um, is ironic given it was actually the spiritual home of Milers Club. It's where we actually formed the group, and we used to have all <laughs> of our preliminary meetings. Meetings out at uh, Duncan McKinnon under uh, Trevor Vincent's tutelage, and mm. um, yeah, but we'd never actually had a meeting. Oh, sorry, a meet. Main reason was because there's so much going on at that track. You know, the redevelopment of the stand, the redevelopment of the track. Yeah, um, it's been going on for yeah. Yonks. So the tracks now relayed. Uh, similar, well, you know, we we're talking earlier about Doncaster being so good, lane one and two. Unfortunately, Duncan McKinnon's not. There was some huge puddles. Yeah, it did in, look like yeah, lane one, one and two copped the. The yeah, brunt of it. the brunt of it. And, and it was interesting, even in the hundreds, to watch runners running around the puddles. So <laughs> rather than <laughs> ploughing through, they were actually taking the wide berth and not going through all the water. A uh, bit of a shame because the Glen Huntley Athletic Club sorry, and also the Caulfield Little Athletics were absolutely brilliant in dealing with or putting this meet on. And you know, a big thank you to Andrew and Tony and all the, the mm-hmm. people who'd helped us out to get uh, the meet underway. And it was just a shame the conditions were just so diabolically horrible it was wet and miserable it's mm. the only words for it really yeah pretty but, tough and you know we look at the results now and that comes through particularly in the 800s it was just not one of those cellar nights for a, an 800 no. hard work out there the women's a marley campton was the top seed and and she had a win tragus who you know we know is a 
good cross-country runner. Yeah. And, um, you know, multi-talented because she put in, you know, Traeger, Ashley Traeger's actually led most of the way and then Camden just came over the top towards the uh, end as they came into the home straight. So 213.91 for Camden, Traeger's 214.34, then a bit of a drop back. But it was a good run, actually. Hannah Williams, probably one of the lower seeds in the event, uh, ran a 218. So I think Hannah would be happy with that and Lucy Luchford there in fourth in a 218.68. Uh, first of the Fisher girls as well, Ella. Um, those two were going along nicely, recent Ella Fisher. So Ella was 218, uh, and she was in fifth position. And we we had Lisa Verstratton back out with the microphone mm. last night, sure, which is Back great. on interviews. Back on the interviews, and Lisa caught up with Marley Campton. I'm here with Marley Campton, the winner of the female A race at Milers. Uh, Duncan McKinnon, nice track. Yeah, I've run, run here once before, and it wasn't a very good race, so it was nice to have a... Good run for my second time. Yeah, congratulations. That was uh, Thank you. what one oh about one oh six, seven first lap yeah, and then I finished so. in two thirteen. Okay, yeah. You happy with that? Pretty happy, yeah. I was hoping for around like so, a two twelve maybe, so so I was pretty happy, yeah. Yeah, it's good for early in the season. Yeah, definitely, and I've had a bit of a bumpy lead up, so yeah, I'm really stoked. <laughs> yeah, and what's in store for you for the rest of the season? What are your plans? Um, well, up until last year, I'd had a few years off because of injury, and um, I'd been sitting on a 2.10 PB for like three years, so I'd love to break that. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. How old are you now? I'm 21. Yeah, yeah. You're ready. I hope so. <laughs> well, good luck with the rest Thank of the season. Thank you so much. Thank Great you. Running. Thank you. You held her off really well at the end. Oh, I tried. <laughs> a lot of anticipation regarding the men's A heat as well. Alex Rowe, back. Yeah, awesome to see Rowie back. He's obviously had a, a really, really prolonged time with a number of um, injury sort of niggles that have grown into bigger problems. Um, but I think, you know, was was always a guy that was, you know, also the fact that he was juggling med, uh, studying medicine, which he, he's kind of in his final year of now and, and he's just about finished with. Um, and trying to juggle that with being a 144 guy is, is difficult. Um <laughs> But yeah, I'd, I'd seen him the last couple of weeks down at training, and and he uh, he ran the tan relays. Like that was his first sort of little look at where things were. And um, yeah, I, I think you know, the the result last night will be something that he wasn't stoked with. Um, but uh, I guess more the process of getting back onto the track and actually running a race and going through all those processes. Hopefully, that's something that can you know maybe add a maybe just a little bit of confidence in, in still being able to go through all those bits and bobs and, and try and get into that, that racing sort of format as opposed to just doing, you know, long, long blocks of training and trying to recover a bit of fitness. So, yeah, I, uh, yeah. as, as um, we'll definitely hear in the, the interview that Lisa managed to grab with him, he's, he's got some thoughts on how things are going. But, um, yeah, good, good to see him back on track. It certainly was. And let's go to the winner, though, Jacob Reid. So, 154.18. Sat beautifully in the field there because it really out front it was a race in free. Andre Waring, you know, who as we know is a you know we'll call him a Miles Club product because where he's honed his craft <laughs> and and Andre stepping down to the eight, which I think is the lower end of his range, yeah. um, and was competitive in this race. So it was basically Row Waring and Reed ploughing the, the uh, pace out front and Reed was just too strong in the final straight, uh, came home very nicely. 154.18, so a modest time, there's no doubt. Uh, row 154.39 and 154.55 for wearing. Stummer in next position, then Carr, Ruben and Mitch Langbourne. Uh, Mitch ran 200.46 as opposed to his 157 at all schools, but 
don't take anything from the time, <laughs> Mitch actually was duking it out with the big boys. And that's probably the first time he's had an, ex- uh, an experience like this where he's being in a, r- a race. And that's a tough thing for a, you know, a kid of his age to be thrown into the race knowing that Roe and Reed and mm. Waring, all these experienced guys are there. Didn't phase him, I don't reckon. Yeah, because it is always a bit of a shock with the, the younger 800 guys in that often their quicker times do have a bit of a... Uh, I guess a, maybe a, a small positive f- split or a very small yep. negative split that comes with their PBs, whereas the more experienced older guys can toy with a, a bit of a bigger positive split and, and really get out in the first lap. And um, I guess you know, maybe that didn't happen to the same extent last night, but I, I guess just that intent straight away from the gun is something that the, yep. the more junior 800 guys and girls have to have, to have a little bit of an acclimatisation. And bear in mind, he's just coming off all schools as well. Yeah, um, so well I reckon schools. it was about 600 metres where we Mitch popped. But yeah. gee, yet again, because he was duking it out there, you just don't uh, you don't lose any respect for a kid who has a go. Uh, yeah, he could have just sat at the back and tried to pick off a scalp or two yep. at the end, but he didn't do that. He actually went for it. Yeah, and especially in the 800 with, with juniors, I think you've got to encourage that. You know, Sure, it's it's not something you want to do every single race. You know, there's got to be a, a bit of a bit of control there, not a completely reckless approach. But I think what we're seeing in, in Mitchell is that he's just trying to figure out sort of different ways to run an eight, which is, which is awesome to see from an athlete of his age. Yeah, look, it'll be interesting as we go to meet two to see who starts to come out to play. Uh, yeah. We'll probably get a, an increased level of depth, I think, in December. Mm. Um, for Reed and for Rowan, also for Waring, that's a good thing. Also, Stummer. Look, I, I really enjoy watching Stummer run. He's a bit of a quiet achiever, but uh, he, he has plenty of ticker. Yeah, just uh, just keep it on, keep it on. He does, yeah. Mm. All right, and as, as mentioned, Lisa did catch up with Alex Rowe for a bit of a chat. Uh, Alex, yes. great to see you back at the track. Thanks, Lisa, thanks. That was a great yeah. It was okay. I just got boxed and I just couldn't get out. And then I tried to sidestep with they to go and just didn't quite have it. But uh, I'm fairly happy with that. Uh, you know, I came here and did what I wanted to do and that was just to get around. So was very it pleased. around about a 56 versus... Yeah, I think it was 55, 50. Okay. Yeah, 56 maybe 56, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I heard someone say 56, so yeah, just, yeah. Well, that was not bad. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had you know two years out. Um, had injury all 2018 and surgery at the start of this year. So. Did you? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been trying my hardest the last two years to get back on the track, and it's good to be finally there. So, still got a lot more work to do, and um, I'm looking forward to going ahead and doing it. So what was your injury? What did you have the operation on? Um, I had a, it's called a Haglund's deformity on, on, on your heel, so Achilles insertion. Rubbing on the inside. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then tried rehab, needles, shockwave, everything. Didn't work. And then um, had the surgery at the start of the year. It's the best thing I've ever done. Successful. Successful. No complaints, no, no nothing. Pain. No pain. So. No screw? Didn't have to no, detach no, it? No, no, no. So um, it's been a long road back, but uh, yeah, it's a good result with the surgery, so... Now I just need to, as I said, do the things I've got to do yeah. going forward, yeah. Wow, it's exciting to have you back. Did you get some study in? Like, what are you doing now? Yeah, so I just finished uh, medicine on Friday. Um, so that's all done out of the way, which is great. So next year I'm taking the year off um, and looking forward to hopefully running some fast times next year. We'll see how we go. Um, yeah, just, just, yeah, just happy to be back. Well, I can see you've still got the goods. You're coming home like a steam train. Like yeah. you said, you got, did get blocked in a little bit, but yeah. you could see the old Alex Rowe uh, down that front straight. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, hopefully there's uh, there's something there. So uh, no, I feel as though that if I can just be consistent and patient with my work, hopefully that can be uh, 
come home a little bit stronger. So. Yeah. Who, who are you training with nowadays? I'm with Mark Hipworth, so I've been with him. Uh, so I was with him for about six months before I got injured, and since then it's just been, you know, rehabbing and, yep. and then surgery. So I haven't really trained with him that much, actually. But uh, no, I've known Mark for, for years, ever since I was about 14, 15. And when I was with Justin, we did a lot of work with him as well. So, you know, been very close with him. Yeah, you're familiar um, with the training. Yeah. And- yeah, yeah, exactly. Not so, too dissimilar from what you've done? Pretty much exactly or? the same. Just yeah. change of environment. I was a bit stale with uh, with Justin. You know, just things weren't just going my way. It wasn't anything to do with him. It wasn't doing anything to do with me. It just things weren't clicking. So I think, um, you know, I made a tough tough call. And at least I'm not going to die wondering, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you're feeling happier and great yeah, to be back out, Yeah, right? yeah. So that's the main thing. Yeah. Um, not being conscious of it. So... You know, the back end of 2017, 2018, I was running in, you know, severe pain with my Achilles and I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing to make the trials, the Commonwealth Games trials. And then uh, that's where all the damage was done. So the main thing is just to be good to be back, you know, injury-free, pain-free. Just, you know, I think uh, you underestimate just the, the power of just being able to go out from your house, go for a run, enjoy the fresh air. So, um, yeah, simple things. But I'm enjoying that, but then obviously, hopefully, it can go a little bit quicker. Yeah. And enjoy enjoy the fast things as well. Yeah. Well, congratulations uh, on tonight. Nearly yeah. got the win. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that, Lisa. Thank you. Nice to see you. You too. So 3k action. Um, conditions probably got a little bit better um, as the night went on. It was still wet. It was cold, uh, but we saw some reasonable 3Ks. Yet again, mm. similar to the 8s, nothing that's a real eye-popping performance. Well, well, in the lower grades, potentially, there's a couple that I might talk about. But but for the uh, the men's and women's A, then, you know, they, they were reasonable times, reasonable races to watch. Uh, they were quite entertaining races, actually. Yeah. But the times were not, you know, they weren't certainly weren't challenging our um, our bonus incentive scheme. So the <laughs> Miles Club have, have um, made a bit of money last night. So we'll be looking to the way of, um, you know, investing that back into our athletes mm. later in the season. In the women's, Lucinda Rourke um, had a very, well, yet again, as we said, knows how to win a race. Oh, yeah. Katie Gamble really gave it to her, though, which was great. And Gamble did take the lead for a while. Uh, so Lucinda won it. Uh, it was a, they were just sprinting down the straight, and it was a, heads on, they were just going at it. And uh, Lucinda just got it 942.53 to 942.77 for Katie. Kaya Fry, our multi XCR champion. Yeah. At, um, all half distances, marathon half marathon, well. and you know, cross country and everything. Mm. So Kaya was, uh, had a bit of a break after the Burnley half yep. and went to Bali, I think, and had a bit of a. You know, legs up for a little while, which is great. Yeah. So she needed that. And so she's come out 9.47 for third place, just um, dipping ahead of Heidi Demio in 9.47.89. Um, then Maney, Landon, Humphrey, Eagling, every in that order. So, yeah. you know, a reasonable sort of race. they quite entertaining to watch. A few of the girls really putting it out there. The top five sort of making that break. Landon coming home strong with Humphrey towards the end in that next pack. Uh, probably not many PBs, I don't believe. Um, but let's have a listen to what Lucinda Rourke had to say. Congratulations. That was a good run, solid run. Thank you. You pretty much led from the start in the front pack. Uh, you weren't frightened to go out there and, and lead the race? Oh, well, that wasn't really the plan, but it was a bit slow at the start, so I decided to like, kick-start it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and you pretty much stayed there. Apart from towards the end of the race, you pretty much stayed towards the front for the whole race. Yeah. You're comfortable doing that? Um, Do you prefer it's not, 
it's actually not something that I usually do. I usually just hang back. But yeah, I've been trying something different lately. <laughs> so mixing yeah. it up, trying some yeah. tactics. <laughs> yeah. And did you enjoy it? Um yeah, I usually well 3K is not really my preferred event, but it was pretty fun. You yeah. look pretty fit out there. Oh thank you. You got overtaken like with six hundred to go perhaps and then you come through with about 150 to go? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, just around the last bend. Yeah, so you're feel, still feeling obviously fairly strong? Um, kind of. I just I had just a little bit left in the tank, so yeah. something to kick. You're still mixing it up with the triathlons? Yeah, I have a triathlon nationals race a, like, about a week later. So. Are yeah, you just going to save yourself for one event? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, what are your plans now going forward? You're off to Falls Creek again this year? Um, yeah, I am for around the New Year's time. So that should be pretty good. Yeah. Triathlon versus athletics, who's winning at the moment? Um, I'd, say, I'd still say athletics, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, congratulations on the win tonight. There were some um, good athletes out there tonight, some good girls racing, so well yeah. done. Thank you. Men's race, also an entertaining affair. Uh, in the end, probably a group of four that was really going for it, and that was McIntyre, Shanahan, Buchanan and Cashin. Hamilton, once again, to me, was one of the standout performers, Sean. I really like, you know, you don't see a lot of Daniel Hamilton. When he pops out, there, <laughs> he goes pretty well. Yeah, I think um, apparently he's going to he's gonna go to uni in Germany, I think. Oh, oh you did tell me about that. Yeah, that's an interesting one, so, isn't it? So, I know... Um, yeah, I think everyone's definitely still encouraging him to get as get as many races in as possible in Australia while he's still here. But um, yeah. yeah, he's definitely he's a man of many many talents, and from what I'm told, some pretty substantial academic talents too. So mm. he's got a, got a bit going on. But you're right, when he gets on the track, it's often a, it's a it's a pretty earnest performance. Well, well, you're saying you know he's got academic skills. Mm. He's a smart racer. He is. Yeah. He is. Yeah, that's what I like. I think um, it was interesting to see the the sort of levels within levels of that race in the sense that, you know, someone like a, a Cashin was probably hanging on a little bit more than, say, you know, Cody and, and sort of the game, I think, he and Sam McIntyre were playing at the front. Um, there were definitely periods in that race where uh, you could see Sam was trying to make his mind up as to whether he was just going to have to commit and lead the whole thing or, or whether, you know, he sort of did err uh, to Cody pushing things along briefly there. Um, and I don't think Cody wasn't without doing work i think yeah obviously cody knows the stature of sam and the fact that you know in his back when sam's in sort of full fitness he, he has run 741 for the for the yep. distance um but yeah cody contributed i think maybe a lap or, or two here or there but yeah you, you could just see that that difference in change of pace when sam decided he was going to take things on and, and move on um took off with pretty pretty stunning change of pace um and I think it was just that 100-metre sort of gap again where Cody sort of asked the question one more time and Sam just sort of hit the button and was, was absolutely gone. So uh, Yeah, well, it was similar to the women's race, wasn't it? That last 100 metres were where it was really on and these two yeah. guys, but Sam always just had the ascendancy and you just sort of tell that. But but Cody didn't give up. So 8.13.24 yeah. for Sam, 8.14.22, yep. so just under a second mm. separating the two. Buchanan in next position, 8.18. You know, it's a reasonable performance. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, good for him to travel down from Bendigo. And because a crack. Yeah, where you've got to con- get context on these on last night as well. Was next, next week is the Vic 5K. So yeah, guys so need a race. A cu- yeah, a couple yeah. of those. Well, most of those guys really, I think, will be, will be looking be towards that 5K, yeah. A month after that, you've got Zatapec. So yeah, this is the progression yeah. that we're trying so to set up in Victoria. 
So Yeah, for some it's either that 3K is something you then come down from or for others yeah. it's something you then build upon and, and, and move up. So it plays a bit of a different role for everyone. Yeah, it certainly does. So so and talking to say Liam last night, then yeah, he's his intent will be to, to go to Zatapec. So yeah. you know, using the five K also as a stepping stone. Yeah. So great experience him last night trying mm. to match it with the likes of Shanahan Buchanan and McIntyre. Yeah. Um, he slipped to an eight. 23. Well, it's still a good performance. Uh, the fast finishing Hamilton was next position, 8.26. Callan Goldsmith, another good performance there, 8.28. So, some, you know, as we'd expect, just some good, honest performing there from our guys. And we're going to see, be calling these names a lot in the next few weeks, and particularly next week with that 5K champs. Any other standouts for you in there, Will Lewis? What do you think of the 8.34 for Lewis? That was serviceable? Well, I, I think he's in an interesting spot in that he, I guess, early in high school when, when he showed um, some promise with running, he, he very, I think he very much thought of himself as an 8.15 guy. Um, but in Steve Fabrice trying to give him that more well-rounded, um, I guess, sort of training approach, um, he had, early on, early on, Will had a almost amusing number of weird and wonderful injuries, like, you know, getting... Not nothing too serious, but did did get like bumped off his bike by a car at one point. Um, yeah, was getting stress fractures off laughably small amounts of volume. Um, and yeah, I think Steve's really taking the time to to build him back up. And and a lot of that has been sort of padding out. Well, not padding out, but just providing some more breadth in the work he does his, in sessions. And and we saw that in Burnley as well. You know, he ran fifteen oh eight on road for the five k. So I think for him, he's kind of thinking, well, hang on, all, all these, you know, both the eight and the and the sort of three and five k sides are things are going to help pardon me the event he enjoys the most which is the 1500 so um i think for him as well that'll be sort of testing the waters um for for zatapec for the under 23k um because he has, has run faster than that um but also um yeah just just sussing out where his fitness is at before he jumps in a 1500 yeah that under 23k is going to be interesting because last night wasn't a great night for trying to get qualified no unfortunately yeah, we don't have many opportunities <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs> if any of the guys when's the new south wales free k is there on uh, hasn't happened just yet i don't think but yeah. the, the hard thing there is yeah we, the one thing we can't control is the weather no. um but yeah often that new south wales 3k does bring a, an absolute stack of sub yep. 830 guys out Correct. of it yeah so that might be one of the people but i don't i think it's not far away so mm. yeah anyway let's get back to the winner sam McIntyre, good win uh lisa caught up with him and let's have a chat or listen to that because it is interesting to see where he sees himself going uh, here with Sam McIntyre, winner of the men's A-Race 3K at um, Vic Milers. Congratulations on the win tonight. Yeah, thanks very much. It was good fun. bit uh, tough conditions, but it was good. Yeah, a bit windy on the back straight, you're saying? Yeah, it was, but um, a couple of young boys happy to take a lap or two here and there, so made it more enjoyable and a bit easier to tuck in every now and then. Yeah, because you got away there for a while, but Cody soon jumped up back and started taking Yeah, he did, yeah. Lead. Yeah, it was uh, my first race in a while, so I was a bit antsy. And uh, then once I got ahead and then sort of hit that back straight, I was like, oh, maybe I should wait again. So it was good that Cody caught up. He's an emerging talent, I think, in the sport. So it's good. I was on way with him on a camp last year. And um, he's got plenty of talent, so it's good to see him racing with it. Yeah, definitely. Both he and Liam, you know, up there yeah. in, with um, you and Andy Buchanan. I mean, yeah. Yeah, seeing the two young ones up there. Yeah, for sure. It, you know, they're sort of in that moment in their running career where they're there's no under 23 so no, it's, it's a big step up isn't it yeah it is i mean for that time for me i was over in the u.s at college so made things a lot easier in that sense to sort of grow as an athlete but there's no reason why kids can't stay here and become really good athletes also so they've got a good coach um berkey and yeah i think he knows what he's doing and he's developing them really well so it's cool to see yeah he's had them under his wing for a long time now yeah. hasn't he and he's doing yeah. a great job yeah definitely um yeah 
see some of the Ks they run, it's about barely half of what I'm trying to do. So to see him be a second or two off in a race, it's pretty good and they've got a lot of improvement that comes to, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so what's what's happening for you now? Yeah, so um, this year's a bit of a funny year. Uh, last couple of years haven't been probably at my best, but sort of came back after a rough last race in Europe in London, the Diamond League, and sort of ended my season there, took a couple of weeks off and decided to go full-time with um, Liz Matthews and Team R. So just the last three months, sort of been working back into fitness and getting some workouts in. This is my first race. Um, for about three and a half months and so showing up in the car park today I was like oh it's not the weather you want for your first one back but it was fine I was just having to try and have some fun with it and it was a good little race to be a part of. Yeah and you um you enjoying being a part of uh, Team Matthews over there? Yeah it's good it's um I mean seeing what Luke and Morgan were able to do last year um, especially Morgan the way she came on from a 400 meter runner and I mean I've been around Luke long enough and Liz long enough also to know that she knows what she's doing and she's takes really good care of athletes and she's ready to listen and sort of we both learn from each other like I've had a lot of co- oh, more than a few good coaches in the past so I've sort of got my ideas and she's got hers so it's good to sort of work together and figure out what's going to be best for me. Yeah because that's what it's about when you're yeah. an adult isn't it working together yeah. and collaborating and yeah it's funny you say that I'm 27 and I'm supposed to be an adult but I still feel like I'm a kid coming out here and I don't know getting nervous for these kind of races but it's still fun at the same time so I'm enjoying it but yeah as an adult like I've had I mean, a handful of great coaches, so I've learned something different from each one of them. And it's nice to be able to sort of keep putting those things into practice, even though I'm with a new coach now. And I mean, she knows what she's doing and I trust her and everything like that. So Fantastic. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And what aspirations have you got for the future? What's Yeah, so this will be a big year for me. I think 2020, um, sort of trying to make my second Olympic team. And the first one didn't go as planned and sort of uh, last year or two haven't been great. But I know it's Olympic year, so everyone's sort of dreaming big and wants to get up. 100% want to get back to where I was and um, be competing in those races and I know the, the 5k is getting pretty bloody strong in the last couple of years with the guys like Morgan and Pat and Stewie obviously so it's going to be a tough team to make but yeah I'd be stupid if I was still doing this sport and I wasn't trying to make the Olympics I think so that's a, that's a definite goal for next year. Yeah absolutely good luck with that you look pretty smooth out there tonight. Yeah it was a bit rusty early and uh, the legs felt a bit funny in the cold but no it was good it was good fun I felt in control most of the way and a little bit nervous coming to the home straight with Cody because I know he's young and he's quick but Good to hold him off. Yeah, well done. Congratulations. Thanks very much. Thanks for the chat. No worries. Thanks. So next Miles Club moves to Box Hill, the centre of the universe for athletics at the moment, Box Hill, isn't it, Sean? Yeah, I think, um, well, we're, we're biased as, as distance running folk. We've always loved uh, Box Hill given it's, um, I guess, whilst you know, whilst it isn't, I guess, a lakeside in terms of um, seating and sort of having you know, Old Park next to it and I guess those sorts of nice added elements... The track itself does have a, a real history for producing fast times based on, you know, it might not be dead still there all the time in terms of wind, but I, I think it's a track where more often than not, you know, if you would try and get that average of how often it's a good place to get a, a positive performance out, it, yeah, more often than not, it, it is a place that um, works really well for a, for a mate. Excellent. So we'll be back there. Yeah, we'll talk about in the upcoming events what's going there, but the Miles Club will be there on December 12th, 10th for the classic 800-1500 metre program. So just continue on some of those other results in Milers Club. Uh, Mia Stradley, I really like the look of that one, Sean. 10.40 in the C race for women. Uh, her and Saffron Yates, also Grace Muller was up there, or Muller was up there early, but uh, Mia just looked awesome over the last couple of laps and just ran away with that one. I think the race of the night, though, was the men's E 3,000 metres 
Logan Janetsky from Glen Huntley. I think he's a Wesley boy. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yep. Just look, he's probably the smallest in the field. Or well, there was a couple of youngsters in there, but, but Logan isn't um, the tallest guy out there for sure. And just led the field right from the gun. Looked sensational. Just the form, cadence, balance, rhythm. Fantastic 3,000 metre runner. Led all the way until about 120. Hein Reimert from Eureka came alongside him. And Hein is, you know, is more of a solid character. Mm. Um, good, good solid build. And it looked like he was just going to go straight past. Yep. Hit that last 100 and Janetsky went past him again. <laughs> They've given the result to Hein, but we're going to probably go back over the video really really close there's only well they've given it 0.4 difference there's no way there was 0.4 difference because those two were very locked i you know from where i stood it looked like logan had got back ahead and won the race but mm. they have given it to hine what a race though from a young man from both of them too because hine really did have a good dip and, and probably ran a smart race just sat in sat in sat in and then made his move but logan boy what what a you know talent we, we don't want to you know <laughs> we don't want to go on too much about you know because he's probably 13 14 15 years old 15, so, yeah. yeah 15 so i think that's the, the yeah. positive thing you can take out of all the milers heats though in the sense that there are definitely races within races yeah. and uh, you know maybe unlikely groups of individuals like um Hine and, and Logan, you know, they, they do find themselves in a, you know, they've got, everyone's got a sort of common ground in, in the seated heat element. So yeah. I think um, that is a cool thing for even, you know, people of a really wide range of abilities can get a, a race effectively, you know, they can yeah. get a bit of a competition. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you look also someone like uh, Craig Al, who's around for a long time, that in the D heat of 3000, you know, cracking the nine minute mark, uh, ran a really controlled race. What I like there, we had um, young kid Garbaletto and also. Oh, I reckon they've got this wrong. I reckon Hadfield and Garbaletto virtually came through together. <laughs> uh, and what a race that was too. So Sorry, Garbaletto. Uh, I, I just love watching these young kids really dipping in. As you say, mm. there's races within races going on. Yeah, and, and Appleby's been a guy that's been in A-heats before. And, you know, yeah. back when he was doing more 5K, 3K steeple stuff. But, yeah, obviously now he's moved to the marathon. So he's using that as a bit of a bit of a reminder to the legs. So Brady Trollfall in there, and yeah, Trollfall was in. Well. So yeah, you know, some good names out there. Another another really interesting race too was uh, the women's B with uh, the two Melbourne Uni girls. So uh, Kira Boyd Squires along the double hyphen. She was mm. uh, leading you know, majority of the race, and then Eleanor Benson basically launched from nowhere because you had the, the likes of Biazzi and Mies yeah. was, uh, up there with Boyd Squires Long and then Benson comes out of the next pack and takes the lead but the official results have given it back to Kira um, just ahead of Ali uh, but great racing 10.20 so good times there in the yeah, back for yeah. that and it's good to see Kira yeah she's had a few little ups and downs good to see her back out and racing very well so that, look, that's a bit of a wrap on Milers Club um, Good numbers. I think a record-breaking opening round for us. Sure. Terrible conditions. Yeah, yeah we will do, do what we can, see if we can sort out some, some better weather for Box Hill. Well, let's hope. So the summer walks program has started, Sean. So down at Middle Park, as we know, very well-organised bunch, these walkers. So they had uh, the 20K, Adam Garganis, uh, got through in 138.26. That's pretty swift walking there for Adam. They also had a 15k walk. Corey Dixon uh, was he ran a PB or oh, sorry walked a PB 406 PB 120.27 for the 15k there for Corey. Marnie Grace uh, did her first ever 15k 145.06 in the 10k. Kevin Cassidy was 52.39. Kylie Urshad 
40, sorry, 58.41. So they were the winners of the 10K. And in the 5K, Tracy Finer, 25.13. 3K, it was Emily Smith, 16.31. And then the 2K, Darcy Roberts equaled her PB with a 9.49. And then in the 1K, Ella Azun, 5.23. So once again, they've kicked off beautifully at Middle Park with the, the summer schedule of the VRWC road races. And we'll keep up to date with all of the results coming out of the walks community throughout the summer season. So as you do, Sean, sometimes you print out the list of the WADA global list of ineligible persons. It's an interesting list. goes for about 19 pages. And so I just was on the WADA website and I thought, oh, I'll have a look and see who's there. Good news, no Australians at all. <laughs> was it positive? That... That's a, is that a pun? Oh, no. I, I've been <laughs> terrible with that today. First with the Jared remark and now this. I, I texted Jared about that in the break and he said he thought it was hilarious. So I've dodged one there. But yeah, All right. So, so the, the positive for Australia working. is there's no positives. Uh, <laughs> but it was really interesting to look through the countries of origin and, mm. and who's got the most uh, who are currently banned. Who do you reckon that would be? Uh, well, I know there's I know there's an there's an A group effectively that WADA sort of highlight as some of the serial offenders, which are sort of I think it's Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Kenya, Ethiopia, and yep. sort of the the main ones. If I had to say one, I'd say it'd either be Russia or Kenya. Yeah, it is Russia. So yeah. Russia have got eighty at the moment, and that yep. includes coaches and support yeah. staff and things like yep. that as well. Which but eighty fun. eighty people on this list uh, are banned from yep. Russia. The second biggest one wasn't in that grouping that you just said. Ah. Yeah, it's a surprise packet. You probably got no idea. No, India. Ah, yeah, yeah, India they, comes in with high profile ones. Yeah, so at 47 drug busts for mm. India or positives and or disqualifications for mm. you know, various reasons. I'm not totally surprised though. I what? think uh, yeah. unregulated. I think we've seen at world level some, well, things that just stand out from well, India. Yeah, and you think, why is it so? It's tricky because, yeah, sometimes you'd say. Um, uh, not even just India, some some other countries that are not conventionally thought to be like mm. countries you'd associate with yeah. the large amounts of um, performance enhancing drugs, but you you see those ones where you know I guess with Russia when people were suspicious it was it was very large numbers of athletes and you, you know, there was that debate of oh maybe you know naively oh, maybe Russia are a step ahead you know maybe they got better training you know that, that's you try and rationalise it whereas when you see one athlete who maybe in, a, in an event that the nation doesn't have a lot of history in just comes out and wallops everyone. Yeah, you do kind of sit there and think, well, that's that's a bit harder to believe. You know, yeah. it's harder to rationalise. Yeah, so anyway, India sit at number two with 47. Mm. Number three is Kenya, 38. Four, China, 33. In fifth position, oh, I've lost my fifth. Who else have I got? Uh, sorry, joint fourth with China is Turkey. Are you surprised by that one? Yeah, they've got a pretty sorted... Dodgy sort of history um, yeah. in the middle distances. Yeah, yeah, and I think it extends also to support staff too. Yeah, quite heavily. well, and I guess that's the hard thing as well surrounding this discussion that uh, a lot of the substances, some of these banned athletes are mucking around with, are, are pretty serious um, medical gear. And well, okay, if you're doing it yourself, it's well, one illegal, but two very daft. Yep. And often there are people that are, I guess, enablers in that sort of circle. Yeah. Now, just off the back of Turkey and China is Morocco, thirty-two. 
Yeah, look, I guess there's not a lot of huge shockers in here. Yeah, no, nah, Ukraine comes in next at 27. Mm. And then probably a little bit of a surprise. Well, yes and no, Italy is in next position with 20. Mm. So the Italians are, are up there. And then USA at 16 in ninth. Yeah. Uh, and then I think it's Ethiopia in the next... Oh, sorry, no, it's the Republic of South Africa, um, mm. 15, then Ethiopia at 11. Yeah, so no, Ethiopia uh, sitting well below Kenya there. Why do you think that might be? Well, Kenya have recently got a water accredited lab, so... You would speculate yeah. that their rates of testing may have increased because... Yeah. And, and this is the thing, that this is not a definitive list of who's doing what out no, there. No, no. It's, it's who's been caught. Yeah, and uh, yeah, evidence of absence is not always absence of evidence. Um, but the difficulty there as well is the, the cost associated with um, anti-doping, um, which, you know, WADA have sort of said even this week that if, if sports want to have a clean sport, you know, they, they need to assist in the, the sponsoring of WADA. Um, because a lot of this stuff we talk about is, is you know, it's, it's not something that can be necessarily made more efficient or more straightforward by any sort of automated process. You know, it's, it's very hands-on in terms of testers actually, yep. you know, travelling unannounced to an athlete's residence or a training camp and, you know, taking samples and then those samples have to get transported under pretty specific conditions back to a, a lab. Um, Correct. And the costs surrounding all that sort of stuff is, is huge. Yep. So... Yeah, it's it's just interesting to see, you know, if 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 effectively that new lab in Kenya um, has, I guess, you know, whether that's an improvement or just a or just greater testing numbers really in terms of how many people are being caught. Another interesting statistic is the number of lifetime bans, mm. and Russia doesn't lead that one. Mm. It's actually Turkey. So when Turkey do it bad, they do it really bad. So well, they've got it's twelve more, lifetime yeah. bans. I think it's more repeat offenders because yeah. um, lifetime bans aren't really something you get on the first go. No, um, but yeah, if you've done it again and again and again, you end up uh, removed from the sport. Yeah, so it's Turkey out there with twelve. Russia's got eight. Ukraine's got four. Brazil's got three. Um, yeah, so that's the mm. the litany of disgrace there in, in the world <laughs> of athletics. Yeah, uh, but yeah, as I said, just interesting to you know when you do quantify and mm. you look at the countries that are, well, getting caught. Mm. And India, to me, was that little bit of a standout that, um, you know, right up there, well ahead of the likes of Kenya and China. Next little hot topic, Sean, is uh, what's happening in Japan regarding the Olympics. Do you want to enlighten us? Yeah, so I guess for a number of months, probably almost the better part of a year, there's been a lot of discussion surrounding the temperatures um, and the, the humidity that will affect the Olympic marathon, both uh, men's and women's, because they're set to be held on different days. But... Inside the walks, yeah, and the walks. Um, in, inside that time period of the Tokyo Olympics, it's it will be hot and humid in Tokyo, um, and notably, they do not have an air-conditioned stadium, a la Doha. So, yeah. morning heats and you know all those sorts of things will have to deal with that weather too. Um, but the, I guess there'd been a, a building momentum on on whether or not there could be some sort of radical change that would positively affect the marathon and walks. Um, there's been. Uh, basically an announcement that the events, the marathons and walks, will be moved to Sapporo, which is about a thousand k's north um, of Tokyo. Um, so, and a, best few, a few degrees cooler, you would anticipate. Yeah. So, I guess the you know that initial top level headline that you see, you think, oh, okay, that's clever. Like, yep, it's a bit yep. cooler. But I think but there's more, more to it. Isn't yeah. There? The more and more we've read into it, and I know, um, I think it's Evan Dunphy is a Canadian race walker who was quite vocal on the topic on Twitter and posted a very informative, very lengthy thread. Um, it basically just looks at historical weather data of previous World Championships and Olympics, such as you know Rio, uh, Beijing. 
Uh, Beijing's had an Olympics and a world champs in the last sort of um, yeah. 20 over a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but just looking at, you know, was our perception of Tokyo that it was going to be very bad, just a perception that we hadn't established for previous events. You know, not saying that Tokyo was going to be easy, um, but, you know, sort of there was a, there was an IAAF commissioned study, I believe, um, in Doha that assessed the core temperature of a lot of the competitors in the walks and the marathon. Um, and I guess there was that discussion around, you know, I personally probably wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be rushing back to Doha for a marathon, um, but that the that it is a world championships and it's not a paced race. And I was thinking about this the other day, you, know, you look at those world major marathons and where they're held and what time they're held, they're effectively held in, Almost winter in these, yep. in these, or well, not, more autumn, yeah, sort of thing. And Olympics, world champs, are always going to be a summer games. Yeah, so you're always, and that's the thing. Yeah, you, know, you look at the product that you have, which is a summer games. So more often than not, you're going to have a at least moderately warm marathon. Um, and I thought it was especially interesting listening to Julian Spence on the Inside Running podcast talk about the lengths that he went to to prepare for Doha, and, and you know the really concise strategy he worked on with. Um, you know, Ned Brophy Williams and, and Brent Valance and sort of the AI support staff in terms of, you know, just accepting that you weren't going to run as fast as normal and that you were going to have to have a, a system to cope with that. Um, and that a lot of the people that didn't cope so well in the earlier road events just ignored pre-cooling and things like that. So I guess to get back to the Sapporo issue at hand... But, but do you think Sapporo would have happened if it wasn't for Doha? Uh, possibly not. Um, I know Brett Lana on the very uh, good Japan Running News website has has posted for the better part of a year about how um, now, of course, you know he, <laughs> as much as he'd love to, um, doesn't draw quite as much media attention as a global world championships in Doha. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think yeah, maybe how how graphic Doha was, particularly with the women's marathon, there are a lot of people just passing out on the spot. Um, I think the the tricky thing when you look at Sapporo is that yes, on average, it's cooler than Tokyo. It's not as if it's a guarantee that that day will be that much cooler. And it's, well, it's only no really guarantees. three to four degrees. So it's like, it's not as if it's 10 degrees cooler. Yep. It's not some immense magnitude that makes the marathon and walks, you know, simple. They're still going to be a difficult event. But is it also true that they haven't really got a course designed yet? Well, one of the biggest difficulties in this is the communication between the IOC themselves and the local organizing committee. Um, and basically, the head of that in Tokyo. Um, just came out when the announcement came out that they were going to move and said that you know there hadn't really been adequate consultation for them um, and that of course the costs associated with moving the entire event and all the paraphernalia that goes with that to Sapporo was going to be somewhere near $300 million which looked very big number to pick um, but I think one thing they tried to factor in in that estimate was the number of people that have booked um, accommodation, yep. um, you know, number of fans and family and things that have gone, oh, okay, Tokyo's where it is and have just locked everything in. Um, you know, suddenly te- teams on as the well. move. Yep. There's all these Olympic teams from, you know, hundreds of nations that are going, okay, hang on, we actually need to suss out Sapporo and we yep. need to get everything there that we've got, you know, in Tokyo. Um, and the hard bit of that is the reports this week, um, Inside the Games is, is quite a good website for quite, um, nuanced but very sort of well-balanced um, reporting on facts of Olympic sports um, and they go to a lot of these official sort of presses and stuff and, and sort of get the word straight from the uh, uh, the you know, mouth of the organisers um, and yeah, the local organising committee really pushed back and just said, no, it, it's in Tokyo we've gone to uh, you know, a lot of effort to prep this course and yeah, they put a number of um, 
I guess, coarse elements in to try and protect people from the elements and, you know, heat retardant pavement and, you know, all those sort of really out there tech solutions to try and help. Um, And, you know, there was often a lot of discussion around the timing of the marathon as well. You know, there was talk, okay, what if we started at 3 a.m.? Yeah. Midnight, 6 a.m., you know, could we play with that start time to try and fix yeah, it? Or get out of the, at least out of the sunshine. Yeah, the sun yeah. Come up. Yeah, so that that sort of seemed to go round and round in circles to a point where the IOC just said, look, it's in it's in Sapporo. Um, and I guess the local organising committee have said, look, you, you don't have a you don't have a course that's up to, like, well, you've got a proposed course, but you don't have a course that's up to standard in terms of security and crowd control and, and all these immense variables that, you know, if you're going to host an Olympics, you have to take into account. And, and Tokyo is already an Olympics that is apparently running pretty spectacularly over budget. So, Is it? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's a, a growing concern, yeah, I guess. And you just wonder about the backroom talks and deals that might have gone on mm. between IOC and Sapporo as well because they wouldn't. there would have been work going on this for a little while. It wouldn't have just... You know, yeah, it's, it's hard to think they just came up with it overnight. No, and, so and, and what did in Tokyo, I don't think, would have known much about this at all. Yeah, because like, yeah, you could have moved it to you know, Maragama if you wanted to. Yep. It's an equally south option that hosts road events. Um, but I guess the hard thing is uh, you'd wonder how much that played into Sapporo being in line to host Winter Olympics Winter, as well yeah. and whether you yeah. sort of need to stay on good terms with the IOC. And I guess just that sort of stark reminder that you know, the IOC does run the event at, you know, at the end of the day they get the the final final say it appears they certainly do but you, you also then and i think this is one of the themes coming out from some of the competitors mm. for someone shifting off to support they're going to lose there's no being around the bush they mm. will lose the olympic experience to a certain degree there's no yeah doubt. yeah because it just becomes a it's like a stage race yeah. um but also but only a very few event groupings so yeah you know, and, a, and a few competitors had said that they almost felt that the you know when a major marathon or race walker chooses to do or to target the olympics it's because it's a type of race that they think suits them um and that you know there is far more strategy involved in a summer marathon as there is in a perfect yep. autumn winter option because it's not a time trial you know there are no pacemakers the weather is an issue and a lot of you know um with all due respect um slower athletes do perform far better in terms of placing in these marathons because some of the far faster athletes just ignore the conditions entirely um, and are duly affected by them on the day. So, yeah, yeah I think it does take but, some But of it's that. also the little things too, like, you know, for all runners growing up, you mm. know, especially the marathoners, that, that dream, and it doesn't always happen that you run into yeah. the stadium, but that is what drives a lot of people throughout their career, that 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 yeah, and impact I think, of running I onto an Olympic stadium. A, I guess a further social commentary on it in Japan that the... The, just the outrage at it being moved from Tokyo was that in an Olympics where the ticket prices were uh, mm. have just been mind-boggling, like you know seven to eight hundred dollars to get a seat at a at a you know, morning session of heats at the track, um, the marathon events were ones that sold out instantly because you know Japan is so synonymous with yep. the marathon culturally, and it, and it's an event they are globally competitive in. Um, the frustration there was that it was an event for um, basically the lower socioeconomic classes. It was it was an event where you could attend it for free. People's um, race. Yeah, it was just kind of like the people's race. And that seemed to be what a lot of the Japanese media that is translated into English um, had noted that you were taking something away from a group of people in Tokyo yep. that had looked forward to it 
for so so long. Well, the residents of Sapporo will be um, I guess yeah, yeah, they will be stoked. All right, so look, we'll follow this as it goes through. But it looks mm-hmm. like Sapporo, despite issues, despite yeah. you know, no known course and security yeah. issues and all these sort of things, but they've got a bit of time. Well, they've got a lot of time. Oh, a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll let's see what happens there. Yep. Look, another on the world stage to what's happening with Diamond League. A um, couple of big announcements. Um, the basically the Diamond League venues and the, the Diamond disciplines um, got set the other day uh, for 2020. Um, and uh, what has been cut is effectively the the 200 um, steeplechase, discus, and triple jump. Um, so let's assume there's some unhappy people. There are some very unhappy people, and I, and I think the, the the sort of garbled messaging that came out was that necessarily some of those events listed aren't cut from the meet that it's at but they'll be outside the broadcast window and won't be treated as Diamond League events yeah they'll be exhibition events basically and you'd assume that prize money and things like that would also be cut yeah. as a result of not being part of the main program yeah and for you know sure it's not a big number but for a lot of people that's their livelihood so the yep. question is how are they going to target certain races and, and you know where will their events be held um, across the year um, especially for you know Triple Jump was already one that had had some really I guess media profile issues in, yep. in 2019 that you know there were some I guess broadcast issues with the event in terms of getting very minimal screen time um, whilst having very high profile um, both men's and women's competitors approaching you know sort of historically relevant marks um, and I guess the uproar from the competitors has been that you know the competitors are the the product effectively um they're you know the they're, they're the talent so they're frustrated that they feel like they've had a lack of consultation on this and that the media release suggested that a lot of the de- decision was apparently made on social media click-throughs which i think is possibly not the best um and they sort of listed it was almost like they made it worse for themselves they listed the countries where they had surveyed this data and you know they'd missed out a lot of south america um, a lot of um, East Africa and so I was like yeah okay of course you're going to get biased results in terms of what's the most popular event um, and they just sort of passed off the 200 as oh look in an Olympic year just too cluttered and you're thinking hang on the generational superstar we've got at the moment is Noah Lyles like you're looking for your next bolt everyone keeps saying where's my next bolt yeah. even if he isn't the next bolt the next best thing you got is Noah Lyles and, and debatably you know even him racing Christian Coleman and so on it's like so you're pulling a distance that this guy is his pet event. Yep. Um, and, you know, the likes of Emma Coburn sort of said with the with the steeplechase um, being pulled, you know, she wouldn't be promoting um, the IWF going forward, um, which I guess is probably understandable for her because a lot of her, I guess, marketing and, and media worth does come from the fact that she is a American athlete along with Courtney Freericks and Colleen Quigley performing super well in what is a very East African event. So it's like it draws media attention regardless does. of your understanding. Just going out on a limb a little bit, could you see potential for race promoters to come in? They might not get mm. sanctioning and all those sort of things, but they might get big dollars to put on exhibition races that will then star these yeah, people who have been disaffected. Even on the day, you know, um, Christian Taylor, who is probably you know, himself and Will Clay have been the best triple jumpers in the world for a number of years. They noted that they'd started, um, I guess, an athletes association, effectively, um, titled We Are The Sport. Um, and that has an Instagram page already, which has racked up a fair few thousand followers within a few hours of starting up. Um, and I guess it's just that combined frustration that, you know, the the athletes are being disadvantaged for something that a lot of people say is more of a presentational production issue or you know, promotional issue. 
Let's pull it back a little bit too. There is an athletes commission. What do you reckon they yeah, did in all of I this? What were there, was there a consult consultation process? Very curious. Yeah. 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 Is it just another toothless tiger as we often see in athletics? That yeah. You have commissions for this and commissions for that. What do they do? Who are they listen to? Often not because then it goes to board level and they're the ones yeah. who make the decisions. Because there were there were meets in particular as well. You know, are well known for hosting a you know a, a two hundred or, or a steeplechase or even this year with you know Daniel Stahl and Frederick Dakers um, and. Um, you know, in the discus, you know, that it's been this historic year for 70 metre plus throws. Yeah, and which is those were, riveting competition, especially yeah, there's those, a few of them getting out there. Yeah, that those were events that people genuinely, genuinely bought yeah. tickets just to see. Yeah. Um, so maybe that it was a bit of a flawed format of surveying. Mm. Um, and yeah, what's, what's to become of them? So well, I also saw Dwight Phillips as well, an Olympic champ for long jump, has sort of started up his own, uh, he said he's going to run his own comps in the US um, and he's going to source, you know, prize money and stuff privately. So... It, yeah, it, it does seem very sort of Kerry Packer cricket takeover. We could see a splintering, couldn't we? Yeah, I, I yeah. guess that's the hard thing. But you know? the the issue though is we sort of talked off air though is mm. that the uh, World Athletics now have this monopoly on the points, and yeah. the points are what are, what are going to drive you towards Olympic qualification. So you do also have to play the game with them. Yeah, you, you almost can't go totally independent, or you will not get the points to go to the Olympics. Yeah, you almost wonder how the qualification system. You know, whether do you have meets that become sort of qualifying meets, and do you have meets that are just you know those exciting exhibition meets. Yeah. Um, but also just those questions from those event groups that are going to be removed from the main Diamond League program and will be exhibition status. You know, their question is that that disadvantages them effectively that they don't have a Diamond League level of points they can try and accrue to qualify for their event. So they have lots, to go back to their regionals and things lots like that to unpack yeah. there. Yeah. Um, it is, and yeah. I think we've definitely not heard the last of it. Um, and yeah, do we do we see a bit of a bit of an athlete uprising? Let's watch that one intently. So, Sean, great that uh, Revies have come on board and sponsoring our little podcast, which is nice to see. So, reminder to all of our listeners that you can get 20% off Revies for the AV members. You just use the code AVDTT20 for orders over $20. Go online to the Revies website and order your product. So, for those not in the know, Revies, it's a caffeine strip and it is good for training, good for racing, uh, for a lot of diff different disciplines too. It just gives you that instantaneous uptake of caffeine into the blood system. So Revy's great supporters of athletics across Australia. They've got some good people on board and hopefully we're going to tap into some of that little network of their people as well as we move through uh, in our relationship with Revy's. So let's get on board. AVDTT20 for orders over $20, you will get the 20% off. A lot of Australian interest in New York Marathon for yep. good reason. Sean, what we happened? We had, uh, had four um, rather rather capable Aussies um, tackle the New York Marathon, which is, of course, one of the uh, world major uh, marathons. And uh, we had some had some really encouraging uh, performances out of that one. We had um, Ali Pashley and Sinead Diver in the women's event finish um, eighth and fifth, respectively. Um, so Ellie in, in her run was, was only, um, and, and I guess for anyone that's not familiar with it, New York is quite a hilly course, um, so it can be quite, quite difficult to come close to your PB. Um, so Ellie ran 227.07, um, so it was only about 20-odd seconds off her personal best. Um, which is a, a huge achievement in in that race, and which is on the improve, and we've seen from the half marathon, and also the ten k in Doha, indicative oh, yeah. of you know, yeah, one to watch. Yeah, and and I think for her, it, it was always going to be difficult in that um, in that New York field that 
you know, when the, when the group started to splinter up with, with various pace and moves, you know, she sort of had to make a, a decision um, and one that paid off for her in the last 10K in that she got to, she reeled in a fair number of competitors over the, over the back end. Um, and yeah, to get a top 10 finish is huge. Um, Sinead um, Diver was fifth um, and ran 226.23. So still, yeah, weighs off her personal best. Um, but I guess New York does provide that opportunity to race per se um, and would have been a sort of invaluable experience for her in terms of racing against some of the very, very best. Yeah, probably a good thing for Sinead. She was ahead of the first American. So that's going to... Yeah, it's always a big Yeah, big, big thing nod. for New York and having Desi Linden behind you is, mm. is uh, that's going to give you a lot of credibility. Yeah, so, so really good days out for, for both of our Aussie women. Not so much for the boys though. No, so I think the a tough thing in the guys was they had a little bit more of a tactical approach um, as... You know, New York doesn't have pacemakers. Um, so Brett Robinson actually led um, led the field through halfway. He uh, got through in about, I think it was about 64.50. So it wasn't as if Brett had gone out at a, an it's anything not unreasonable. Yeah, no. yeah. It's what yeah. he'd expected he should be on. Yeah. Even think, on that course too. Oh, yeah. And I think it was just that um, Brett sort of noted in a post-race interview that he's not a huge fan of, of the downhill sections in races um, and thought that if he got himself, or more, more than if he continued to run his pace, um, he could sort of work through the downhill sections as opposed to trying to, you know, be chop and changed in terms of pace with the group. Um, and, yeah, I think he, he said as well he got to about 32K, so about, you know, 10K to go and just basically the, the hillier element of the course begins in earnest with 10K to go. Um, and he just said he, he couldn't really do anything to, to remedy that um, and, and ended up running in the sort of 217 uh, region. Um, same with Jack Rayner, didn't, didn't have a great day at the office. Um, but I think, you know, for these guys, it, it was, it's always going to be a, a pretty steep learning curve at, uh, at a world major. And, you know, for Jack, that's his second marathon. And for, for Brett, it's his second completed one, sort of his third attempt at one. Um, so I think the important thing there is that, you know, I often compare marathoning to playing golf. Never think you've mastered it. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. you know, the next game you're going to end up in the bunker all the time so yeah. and that and whereas with with Ali and, and Janata I think probably a little bit more experience mm. uh, probably knew how to handle themselves yep. uh, and uh, came through with the goods yeah and I, and I think that it does present you know obviously all four of those athletes have qualification standards yep. for Tokyo um, the women's is, is probably a bit more of a hotly debated um, selection sort of bunch uh, with, a, with a few, you know, more, more than the team quite up, basically. Players, yeah. um, in the men's, it does seem pretty straightforward that Jack and Brett, you know, will race in Tokyo barring any sort of spectacular Sabora. performances. Yeah, or Sapporo, sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was, it was rough on Brett because let's run sort of, I guess, yeah, if you're a journalist, it's opportunistic, but they interviewed him probably two minutes after he finished. If that, he was sort of just popping out of the finishing shoot. And, a little um, bit raw. It's a little bit raw, but he conducted himself really well and, and just, you know, tried to explain that he was, he was a bit lost for words at the time and was obviously extremely fatigued. Um, yeah, said he sort of had sections of walking towards the end and, and was just not enjoying himself. Um, and for him, I think, yeah, it's been that, that more sort of... Um, a more rapid shift up from you know being a real sort of 5k guy that didn't really like 10k to a guy that all of a sudden is running the marathon so i think he's definitely got the ability um it'll just be whether he sticks with the marathon or whether he tries to drop down a distance heading back into tokyo uh, whereas for jack i guess it's just a big learning curve and yep. and one he'll try and um sort of remedy in time for tokyo oh we've still yet obviously yet to see the best of jack oh ways off know, yeah, this yeah. is a guy who could potentially have the own the australian record at some stage yeah yeah i think the and the tough thing with brett as well is you know his his best result effectively still came with what would be a bit of an unconventional tactic you know in london going through in about yep. um 63 odd um with with callum hawkins just sort of stuck with a, a fellow <laughs> fellow racer so yeah i think maybe as brett develops a bit more of a feel for the event he could sort of hone his hone his skills 
Um, I guess the, the quick recap on the race itself was that uh, Lalisa De Cisa was, an in, was trying to do an interesting double. Um, he'd won the World Championships in Doha um, and tried to back up a month later for New York because he was the defending champion and he lasted about uh, he lasted about 10K and then just stepped off and said, yeah, not for me. Um, and apparently, yeah, in the, in the pre-race media conference, his, his um, coach and agent were sort of saying they almost had to had to convince him to just get on the plane because yeah. <laughs> he sort of committed. Um, so a bold but, double uh, there. Look, knowing the way these things work, the, the dollars dangled in front of him would have been... Oh, I think, yeah, there would have been substantial just, draw exactly, for him yeah. to come back. Just and, an appearance money. And I think with his there. ability, he probably thought in his head, yeah, oh, okay, I didn't have to run that fast in Doha. I could probably turn it around. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, the women's race was... Well, sorry, in the men's race, the winner was uh, Jeffrey Camelroy, who is sort of the heir apparent to Elliot Kipchoge. They're in the same training group. I so. think I picked him, didn't I, pretty much? Oh, he's a, he's a good one to pick. Um, so he ran 208.13. Um, so he basically just tore the race apart at about 32k. Um, it's tricky because the mile splits are available. I haven't done the maths on the kilometre bit, but effectively a, a three-minute kilometre is about 448 for a mile. Um, so Camera War sort of, I guess, forewarned of what was coming with a 447 mile with 10k to go or, or 20 miles. Um and from there, just proceeded to rip off a few 436 miles, which is about 251, 252 pace. Um, the 24th mile in New York is known as one of the far more difficult ones. It's quite a serious hill. Um, and you sort of build towards getting yourself to Central Park. Um, so it's really the toughest part of the course. And, and a lot of journalists that have been reporting on the race for a number of years remarked that you know, him dropping a 440 or, or being well under three-minute pace there was pretty astonishing um, and just absolutely blew the field apart. Um, and continued on, you know, ran a, ran a 4.31 mile in the 25th mile. So still had a lot of, a lot of pep in the legs um, and was, was very excited to get a win um, after I think he won it in uh, 2017 and was third last year. So definitely a course he, he quite enjoys. And, and yeah, the same, you know, same discussion around Camel Raw. You know, he's this enormous talent, but he hasn't had quite the same success at 10,000 metres. And now for him, you know, the Kenyan marathon team for the Olympics is one of the hardest things in the world to make. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there was there was really um, fascinating discussion with his his coach and agent as to what he would pick uh, for twenty twenty. As of course, you know, asked straight after the race and said that's a discussion for yeah. <laughs> further along. But that you know the added variable for him is trying to defend his world half marathon title as well. Which so he's on in yeah, so, so he's, he's got a bit on. But uh, be really exciting to see what he picks. Um, and he is very media friendly and and yeah. quite articulate. Ah, he's, he's so a really good, awesome uh, to have in the sport. Yeah. Um, on the women's side, it was actually a fascinating race. I had Jocelyn Jepkoskai, who's the world record holder for the women's half marathon. Um, she made a marathon debut, and uh, that went pretty pretty well, would be an understatement. She ran a 2.22.38 for the win. What's the prize money? About 100000 for the US? It's about that, yeah. yeah so um, and she, she noted that... Um, you know, she, she'd put off her marathon debut a few times for, for different reasons, but felt she was sort of ready to go for this one. Yeah. Um, oh, it's, it's good high profile, not the time that you're going to deliver. Yeah, she just maybe. missed the course record, so she's yeah. kind of curious about that one. Or notably mm. wore Adidas shoes as well. Yeah, the first big win for Adidas, I think, in yeah, this year. in recent times. Yeah. yeah. So usually Mary Katani is their, their go-to, yeah. who was also in the race. Um, and <laughs> look, not a not an awful stat to have for Katani. Um, it was the first time since 2011 that she hasn't won a major marathon in a, in a year, in a calendar year so um 
I guess, yeah, like definitely not to be negative towards her ability, but a lot of her competitors did say, look, she's 37. You know, yeah. it's, it's, there's going to come a time where her abilities do diminish a touch and maybe this was the first sort of inkling of it um, given the, the devastating fashion she won New York in last year. Um, so she ran 223.32 for second. So for her, the question becomes, you know, trying to make that Kenyan Olympic team, it's probably the hardest team to make outside of maybe the 100-metre um, team for the US. So. Yeah. Yeah, see what happens there. But um, yeah, I think it's always interesting to see Aussies have a crack at a, at a major and, and see what comes of it. And I, I think it'd be awesome to see more and more of it. Yeah, let's see where that goes. So uh, I'll just do a little bit of a, you know, talking about New York. I uh, went to a, I'll do a mov- movie um, preview, uh, which oh, yeah. we haven't done that before on the podcast. Uh, the movie's called Britney Runs the Marathon. Uh, and right. yeah, it's I when I got the tickets, I thought, oh, this will be a bit of a, a fluff piece, as quite often these things are. No, it's not a fluff piece. Uh, Brittany yeah. Runs the Marathon actually has a lot of very strong messaging. It's about a woman who totally um, reorganises her life or gets her life back on track, um, suffering from weight issues, confidence issues, self-esteem, all of those sort of things. And some brilliant scenes in this movie, including the one where she first steps out the door to go for a run. Yep. And I think a lot of people in the community can really uh, touch that and think, you know, all the doubts going through your head and just knowing that there's going to be pain and am I up and who's going to be looking at me and all those sort of things. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it actually. And uh, so if you do get a chance to see Brittany Runs the Marathon, get out there and, and do it. It's based around the, the New York Marathon and yep. uh, her efforts to get into it and also race it and um, how she gets through it based on a true story too, which is always a, a nice thing to know. So the uh, lead actor and the director are out in Australia last week, I believe, and... Um, uh, presented really well on uh, ABC News Breakfast, uh, just you know, chatting about what this meant and uh, the the impact that marathon running can have on people's lives, and, uh, and that's the, one of the big things that comes out of that movie. So if you get a chance, pop in and see it. As usual, Sean, things just don't quiet down at all. What's coming up? Lots is coming up. That's the answer. Lots. This by the time we release, we're probably well into the relay round, which is the first time we've done this at AVSL, and that's on Saturday the ninth at multiple or two venues. Uh, sorry, plus the regionals as well. Now uptake of entries has been huge, apparently. So I think AV. Let's wait for it to be run, and there might be some little issues to be ironed out. But I, I love. I'm really disappointed I'm not going to be around for it but um, AVSL Relay Round Round 4 a great concept you know great initiative by AV and and, uh, Craig Ross the team um, Andrew Duncan now joining that team as well Uh, yeah let's see how it goes but great way to get things happening so all the track events will be relays field will still proceed as per usual and uh, very excited to see how this goes we've then got uh, the Victorian 5000 metre championships at Box Hill on the 14th the Vic relays follow that on the 23rd also at Box Hill and then we have the White Horse Classic also at Box Hill on the 28th lots happening the Zadabek graded races too. Don't forget that they're on. They're on the I think the fourth of December. They're going to be at a, uh, hosted by Athletics Essendon out at Aberfeldie, mm-hmm. and they're for the ones who who want to have a well an experience of a ten thousand meter track race. Sean, mm-hmm. have you ever done a ten k track? No, no, I've done done plenty of road ones, but I've uh, I know for some people twenty five laps is a, an attractive concept, but uh, and for not, many it's not, not an attractive. So much for me, yeah, no. no so twenty five laps <laughs> of the track. But if you do want to have a go, have a look mm. at the uh, go onto the AV portal to register for that one. Uh, it is known as the Zadapec graded races, as opposed. Don't accidentally enter yourself into the Zadapec uh, <laughs> because you do need qualifying times anyway for the Zadapec, and the mm. Zadapec is on the fourteenth of December at Box Hill. 
We've also got a few pro meets coming up too, so we're going to start to get the intel on the pro meets. We've yep. got Whittlesea, uh, no, yeah, I think Whittlesea and Hastings uh, cool. leading the way, and they'll be on in the next two weeks. So we'll be, you know, tapping on the shoulders of our experts from the VAL, mm. and they'll be giving some updates as we provided last summer season of um, those very interesting meets because often some very familiar names, some crossover, yeah. some great crossover, but also some great personalities too yep. uh, competing in VAL. So we'll try and keep on top of that. Okay, Sean, that's episode 29. Happy birthday. One year <laughs> down. One down. One many, down. many to go. Where, where do we go from here? Oh, it's, all, it's only up from here. Thanks mm. again to Revis for supporting us. Uh, we'll be back, I think, maybe in about another two weeks' time. I won't be here. I'll be in... You're off. I'm off. Argentina, Chile, all those sort of things. So, uh, we'll, what do you reckon Hamish Beaumont might be in? Yeah, we'll be a chance. He's, might be a chance. been here a few times. Yeah. We'll see how we can rustle up for guests and so on. But with all of that stuff going on, including the big 5K, the relays, uh, mm. the relay round, uh, we've got to have to do you know, get another podcast in the can. So, we will continue on yep. uh, without me, and that's fine um and we'll probably do that in about two weeks time uh we'll construct that nicely and hopefully lots to chat about there sean so thanks once again for your input and great insights into the world of athletics <laughs> thanks tim awesome to see the the podcast get this far and uh big thanks to everyone who's listened and um given great even if constructive feedback excellent so thank you and we'll see you with episode 30